y'all probably heard me say this before, but I, I say frequently that the kingdom is, is a big place, right? And I, I mean that to, to say very clearly, we are not the kingdom of God. The church is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's a big place, and that's really, really good. Um, it's wonderful to find people you disagree with in the kingdom of God. I, I mean that. It's a wonderful thing to, to understand that there's people that you don't like <laughs> in the kingdom of God. There's people who don't like you in the kingdom of God. <laughs> you know, it's an amazing thing to realize how big and vast not just his love is, but the kingdom is, that there's provision for all of us. Um, there's a story, this is possibly apocryphal, of a, a British biologist named Haldane who found himself in the company of a group of theologians he was asked what he could conclude as the nature of the creator from a study of creation. And he answered wi with what became a, a famous line saying, he has an inordinate fondness of beetles. I've, I've got a picture here of just some of the beetles in the world. So, so this naturalist said, God has an inordinate fondness for beetles. Where is Josh going with this? It's not, I'm sorry, William, this is not the band, the Beatles. <laughs> this is not. This is not a natural saying. You know, God really loves the music of the Beatles. No, God has an inordinate fondness of Beatles. And why did He say that? He says there's over four hundred thousand species of beetles on this planet, and there's only eight thousand species of of mammals. God loves beetles. What I actually think he's saying, though, is something much bigger than just God loves beetles. But he's saying that there's such a beautiful variety to creation. That what, what he saw was that it's not just a very simple, you know, you, you go to into science class and you get a very straight down, top down, you know, simplistic view on how things relate to each other. But when you actually look at the world, it's full of a richness and a complexity and nuance and details that if you're just looking for a simplistic answer, you miss out on so much of the fullness, so much of the beauty that is all around us. And the, the, the diversity, the, the variety, the colors, the depth of creation is a really beautiful thing. So the fact of the matter, if, if you're going to tune out everything else I say, you could hear me say that the kingdom is diverse. It's big and diverse. And that would be a good takeaway. But I, I, I hope we never use the pulpit just to teach facts about the kingdom of God. I mean, hopefully the facts are going to be uh, as, as they come out. But, but they have to have some teeth, right? or else it's just a curiosity. I, I collect facts. I collect stories. You, you hear them. I listen to podcasts, and, and I find them interesting, and I like to share those things with you. But that's not the point of our lives, right, is to collect these facts and these little interesting tidbits about our lives. It's not a trivia quiz every Sunday about what the Bible says. There's meaning to it. So hopefully I'm not going to have to argue with anybody when I say that the kingdom is a diverse place, that it's a, a place full of variety and a richness, that not just this created world, but heaven itself is full of richness. We'll get into that. But this is not a lesson on what the kingdom looks like. And dear Lord, this is not like an HR on diversity and inclusion. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Please do not hear that. I, I had to do one of those last week. And, and that is not what this is about either. But it's this irrefutable thing when you read scripture to understand what the kingdom of God looks like. Revelation 7, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the picture of the kingdom come. This is, the, this is the fulfillment of the things that we hope for. And I, I fear that we don't understand that this is what we are asking for when we say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a picture of what we're asking for. Every tongue, every nation, every tribe, every language. We want all of this stuff every time that, that we pray that prayer. That's a big part of this. To make it abundantly clear, there's no place for xenophobia, any racism in the kingdom of God in the church. Hopefully, not arguing with anything, just stating a, a very clear fact of scripture, that, that he has been working on this, he's been reconciling this. As we put up walls, we prayed spirit, you know, break these walls down. That's a big part of what we're seeing here, right, is that, that the Lord says, no, come in. Come in. This is the kingdom come. This is what we're looking for. 
There's music that you don't like in heaven. <laughs> sung by people that you don't understand. And th- it's going to be this one. It's not white guys on guitars. That, that, that's, that is probably a small corner cafe in heaven. <laughs> and there's a richness to the music. And it's a wonderful thing. There's people that you think are dead wrong in their theology. I bet they're there too. And they're sinners. There's so, so many sinners <laughs> that have found their way into the presence of God. People that you know, you look at them, you're like, ooh, the Lord loves you? And the answer is yes. People broken who the Lord has made a home for. See, the thing is we often equate this idea of right and wrong with value, right? We see that, that somebody is saying something that's wrong or something I disagree with, and we put a value on that, and then we put up a wall, and we think, I can't associate with that because I disagree with that or because I think differently about these things. And we build these walls because we're associating agreement with value. And when the Lord looks at this, it's amazing to me that he doesn't put that same value on our understanding. In, in Christianity today, so much of what we, we bring to is the pulpit. We make this central, and we say, as long as we agree, then we can be friends. That, that has not been a component of Christianity for so long. There, there are our core things that are central, and it's amazing. If you go into most churches, and I would say by far the lion's share of churches, they will believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he was raised on the third day, and that if we confess and believe in him, we will have the eternal life that he promised us. Those are our brothers and sisters. Those are our brothers and sisters, and we stand shoulder by shoulder in this great multitude crying out exactly that prayer. Salvation belongs to our God. He is on the throne. He sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's our King. That is what unites us, not these practices on on what we do with communion. I became a pastor. One of the first things I wanted to do was meet the other pastors in the area so excited, full of excitement about what this could look like and wanting to take Raleigh with passion and vigor and all sorts of stuff. So I, I, I sent out emails and phone calls to like 20, 30, 40 churches and just expected to have like a full calendar. One guy got back to me <laughs> and it was a little disillusioned, but I was like, okay, we can do this. And I go and I set up a lunch. I'm going to pay for the whole thing. We sit down. As soon as we sit down, what's your theology on baptism? first words out of his mouth and I just felt my heart sink like what he wanted to know about was are we on the same page with this like do we do we agree on this and I just thought oh he didn't like our super (laughs) we haven't done that yet (laughs) but see we equate right and wrong with who's in and out and we equate that with value what do I mean by that? We have this fascination with being correct and that we know the correct answers and we do the right things. And it's one of the very first divisions that the people of God understood. This is from Acts 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God. I've got a picture here of Peter in this. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Understand the scandal you're taking faith to those who are outside of this. You're, you're practicing what we know is sacred with the unrighteous. You're profaning the holy. Like, they, they, are, they don't have the word of God. They don't do things the right way. We have the word of God. We know we're, not, we're supposed to be circumcised and we don't eat certain foods. Like, that's very important. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa pr- praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. It came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. The Lord likes to eat eat alligator. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered into the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. 
He will bring you a message through which you and all of your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as we had come on us at the beginning. And I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they've had no further objections and praise God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Thank God, even to Gentiles. <laughs> I don't know about all of you, but, but many of us are not Jewish, maybe small portions, but thank God for this passage. This is our, this is our invitation with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This is the faith that we've been grafted into. We are, are coming into a story that's greater than us because the Lord is Lord of all. My, my dad, being the great theologian that he is, he says to me, what's in the sheet? What's in the sheet? Peter understood that this wasn't just about dietary laws. Right? Peter understood that this was leaning towards the circumcision and the Gentiles. He understood that even though there were things in the sheet that were about killing and eating and, and, and kind of how the Lord is changing things, there was more to it than that. The Lord was saying, this is what I'm doing. So I've, I've heard it said that this passage can be called pigs in a blanket. <laughs> you can remember that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think an important question for us is what's in the sheet? Who's in the sheet? What's the Lord doing here? That explanation of surely not. I think we've all said that. The Lord calls us to do something surely not because what we're trying to say is we're pious. We're righteous. We're trying to do things the right way. We're, we, we have this understanding that if I have the right answers, if I do the right things, then I'm on the right path. And we hold to our own righteousness, to our, our own salvation, to our own understanding as if those are the things that are saving us. I think that this passage and others, it's pulling our hands off of our own righteousness and putting them squarely on what God has done, squarely on the provision of God, squarely on the words of God as he's called us to say that salvation comes from the Lord alone. This whole series, if you remember, is, is about the kingdom of God. And by that, I don't mean descriptions about the kingdom of God, but kingdom theology and how it's a unique thing that the vineyard kind of has embraced fully and what we mean by that, it's the rule and reign of God. It's not a complex notion, but it applies in so many places. One of the places it applies here, we'll see, on who gets to be a part of this. He's the Lord. We're not the gatekeepers. <laughs> We're not the judge and jury and executioners. We're celebrants. We're subjects. He's the king sitting on the throne. So when we talk about this sort of thing, hear this so clearly. We're, we're not talking about just token diversity. We're not talking about diversity as an end to itself. This balance is so hard because I don't think the world has been doing this so well at all. Brandt had a sermon weeks ago um, about the buses we get on thinking that they're going to take us to the kingdom of God. And so many times we get on these buses that, that are kind of good, right? I mean, if the kingdom's a diverse place, well, let's do diversity. Let, let's make sure we have all this going, and then we know we're going to the right place. But you know what? If it's not the kingdom of God, if Jesus is not the one driving that bus, if he's not bringing us close, it's a near miss, <laughs> right? We're not trying to create something that looks like the kingdom of God in heaven. We're saying, let your kingdom come. There's a big difference in trying to recreate something that God has already made clear to us. We know what the kingdom of God looks like. Lord, your rule and reign here on earth now. You tell me what to do, Lord, because you're the king, not me. And if I go about this with my own two hands, if I try to create this myself, it's a facsimile. It's a, it's a, it's a re reproduction of something that I know it's meant to be. And it, it can look kind of good, but it's a forgery. So many times churches are creating forgeries of what the kingdom of God is simply because we don't know better. I don't think this is malicious. I think it's because we don't trust that he's sitting on the throne and he's actually telling us how to do these things. I believe in seeking the kingdom and letting the kingdom be manifest around us. That means we have to look for and find and acknowledge and celebrate the kingdom, the rule and reign of God, even when it doesn't look like what I think, like, or expect. There are places where I'm wrong. 
Okay. I I I've my theology has shifted and changed since I became a Christian. Shifted and changed since I've been a pastor. And I think that that's because I've come nearer to Him. May that be your case too. That 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 as we come to Him, it's simple and simpler and simpler as we say, "You are on the on the throne. You are the King." The Creator has an inordinate love for the fullness of His creation, not just beetles. <laughs> He has an inordinate love for the fullness, the variety, the diversity, the richness, the fullness of his creation. God likes variety. God creates us all and he calls us all. Our understanding doesn't define us. Our theology doesn't define us. What defines us is the king. That's what defines us. This isn't what the kingdom of God looks like, but kingdom theology, the rule and reign of God. Romans 14. You should read the whole chapter, by the way. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you. This is the beginning of Romans 14. Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. The one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. You, you're probably reading into this so many things that I didn't say. <laughs> Allow maybe the Holy Spirit's talking to you right now, okay? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. He is the king. He is the king. Paul is so wise on this. You realize how he called you the one, the strong one in faith? <laughs> he doesn't say, oh, you of weak faith, except those whose faith is strong. No, no, no. He said, oh, yeah, you, you have strong faith. Be, be supportive of those who are, are weaker than you. It's so wise to look at this diversity and to speak to us, saying to her, our masters, we will all stand or fall. Do you know that you can live with much less worry, much less concern over the state of things if we trust God with his own kingdom? You don't have to be responsible for who's in and out. If that's not your job description, but the Lord can be the Lord of it all. Take that off your shoulders and celebrate the goodness of the King of God. We are not the morality police. We are not the judge and jury of correct thinking. We know who has the words of life, and we know that it is good news. So there's things that unite us. So many times we're attracted to like-minded communities, and I get it. <laughs> it's comforting, <laughs> right? It doesn't cause too much strife in my life to listen to somebody that I agree with. There, there's podcasts I listen to, and I just want to pull my hair out because I'm like, oh, you're so close, but you're wrong. <laughs> and it hurts me sometimes, and, and I get stressed, and I go to my wife, and I say, you wouldn't believe what they said. And she goes, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. But it causes stress and anxiety because the, the tr I want the truth to be louder and clearer, and, and I feel like I have to have this responsibility, but you know what? It's not. We live in a world where the voices around us are loud and constant, and everybody has a microphone, <laughs> right? And if you need to police every single thing, if you need to correct every single thing, you will go crazy, and you'll be angry and spiteful, and you will be unsure of, of so many things on who you can trust, and you can turn, and you'll be alienated and isolated and alone. But if we understand that God is actually king, and he's actually in charge, and he's actually welcoming all the people that he's created because he loves variety, we can rejoice. We can celebrate. We know who has the words of life, and we know that that is good news. There are things that unite us. These like-minded communities are not them. We're united often because we look alike. We talk alike, and we think alike. You could build a church like that, but you're not entering into the kingdom of God. A lot of churches are built on like-minded individuals who agree on things that are outside of what the kingdom of God defines. So what does define us? I, I, I polled y'all a few weeks ago about the center set stuff, and, and I was surprised that this was not more commonly known. So this is a very important vineyard distinctive all right this is kind of like even how we do membership and a whole lot of things this this philosophy is so important to us a lot of times you'll have a bounded set makes it very easy to list who's in and who's out 
right? You're either in <laughs> or you're out. You sign on the dotted line, you're in. You, you don't do that, you're on the outside. You attend, you're inside. You, you don't, you're on the outside. You, you agree with this theology, you're inside. You don't agree with this, you're on the outside. It makes for very clear-cut lines. And if you're doing things, often you really like a clear-cut line. And then these hippies came along. <laughs> and these Jesus people who, who just kind of had this, this more loosey-goosey kind of philosophy on, on how can we see who's close to God, who's not. Who are my people? Who are my tribe? What, how can we see this? And we realize that often we're going in the same direction. And we can define things that way. If you are a, a, a statistician or if you are a sociologist, this is where the phrase centered set kind of comes in. It's a mathematical term, too. But these are things that are defined not because of that boundary, but you're defined because of what's at the center. Jesus, the cross. If he's at your center, guess what? You belong. <laughs> it's not about all these other things on the peripheral. It's not about all these other things that, that we could make clear-cut distinctions about. Sometimes this is very challenging when you're like, well, you know, how, how are, what are we doing in the community? There's people that my wife and I serve that never step foot in this church. There's people that you serve that never step foot in this church. You know what? Thank God. Because if we were a bounded set, we could bound it by these walls and we say, this is the church. This is what we do. Dear God, no. But when we go out, when we do things in our communities, when you interact with your neighbors, when they call you asking for prayer, when you send emails, when you do these things, may you do it with the intentionality and the purpose of knowing that we are ministers of the gospel, that we are serving in the kingdom of God, which is not this bounded set, but a centered set. And it's so hard for us, too, because you know these, these arrows that are pointing in certain directions, sometimes they change over time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this makes for a real messy community, and it feels like life, does it not? <laughs> that sometimes there's a season where you realize you're going the same direction, and sometimes it doesn't continue that way. How do we do this? Often those bounded sets are arbitrary and not biblically defined, but we're defined by Christ in the center, this trajectory. Before I leave this center set model, let me say this clearly. A center set is always in motion. Where I am today, as I said earlier, is not where I started, but I hope I've moved in the right direction. But keeping with these mathematical terms, it's a fuzzy centered set. You see that there's actually no line drawing who's in and who's out, right? You, don't, you can see some errors are pointing away from, from Jesus, right? That could be somebody who grew up in church, but turned their back and said, you know what? I don't even know if I can identify as a Christian anymore. And they're just trying to find their way away. And there could be a person, a sinner, who is so far away, <laughs> but their, their arrow starts to turn to say, Lord, are you, are you there? It, is there a place for me at that table? Guess what? Come on in. <laughs> and it's so hard for us. But I want to say this, that fuzzy set does become defined. And I, I don't want to make my mistake. We're not the ones who define this. We're not the ones who, who distill this down. This isn't a, a concept of saying, hey, that's interesting, or just I agree. And it's not the Unitarian, we're all saved. There are no important distinctions. This is Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. There are those of us who don't know that we're serving the Lord. There are those times where we don't recognize a bounded set that we're in, but the Lord has said, you're in. <laughs> you're one of my people. And he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I could preach six different sermons on that. And you're probably thinking, where is he going with that? It's important that we remember things do get clearly defined. Right? That even so now we have this time, this opportunity to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Thank God for the grace. Thank God for the time. Thank God for a lifetime of working things out. But there is a time. There is an accounting where he looks and he knows and he distinguishes, right? That it's not a game. It's not easy street because he's so great and kind and gracious and loving. These things matter. Identity matters. What's important for you to see here is the kingdom. Who defines it? It's not a democracy. It's not a question of what we agree with. He's the king. And we don't vote each other off the island. I used to want to do that with driver's license. You'd be driving down the road and you see a car do something really bad and you think, I wish I could just vote against them and, and, and strike their driver's license off so they're no, you, you ever have that thought? Is it just me? It's just me, okay. I had that thought, I was like, this would be a wonderful society if we could strike people's driver's licenses for all these stupid things they do on the road. And then I, I think I had a quick reminder I'd probably lose my license. <laughs> I would probably be subject to that same exact judgment that I was exercising against somebody else. And dang it, you know there's a verse for that one too. This is Matthew 7, 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it would be measured to you. If we were the king, if we are the ones with a vote, I don't think anybody's getting in. Do you know that? What a terrible world that would be if we were in charge. What a terrible kingdom that would be if the power was to the people and Jesus was not on the throne. Leaving Christ as king is better for you. Trust me as that. He's more gracious. He's more kind. He's more forgiving. Do you want a theology test as a gatekeeper for heaven? Oh, well, hold up, hold up. What, what, what did we say? What did Bart say? If you re read his book, you know, like, uh, what N.T. Wright, when he came around, he challenged some of these notions. Do you remember? No, there's no theology test to get into the kingdom of God. Proof of morality, do you want that to be your evidence for getting into the kingdom of God? Thank God that we have a kind and gracious God who by his blood we are welcomed in. Let me say this. Well, I, I think we can get on board with this. It's still rather selfish and self-centered thinking when we talk about diversity in this way. You know, because we can appreciate diversity, even intellectual diversity, theological diversity, diversity of race or, or religion or all these things, uh, theology, I should say, without valuing it, okay? We can allow it because apparently the kingdom of God is looking like this, but, but not really embrace it. You can accept this as a fact and then be like, but it doesn't really matter to me. I'll let God do his business, and I'm just going to do my business. And, and maybe that's what Josh is saying. Like, okay, God's in charge. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just going to walk away and be like, all right, God's going to do what God's going to do. What's it matter to me anyway? But there's actual value to the variety in the kingdom of God. All right, I want you to hear this so clearly. If we have a uniform, invariable church, it limits the gospel. If we have a uniform, invariable church, it limits the gospel. It gives us a smaller understanding. It gives us smaller capabilities. This is what happens. If, if you get a church that's inward-focused, if, if we're making sure that we have the right answers, we get narrower and narrower and narrower. We forget about everything on the outside. We don't know what's going on. We don't engage what's on the outside. Our theology doesn't grow. It doesn't experience the hardships of life. Luke 9, 49. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We try to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. He's not one of us. <laughs> like, the, the kingdom of God's doing something over there, but you know what? He's not us. Vineyard's not even in their church name. <laughs> I don't even know that he went to seminary. I don't know what he thinks. 
so God, stop him. <laughs> we do that. It's funny, but you know we do that. He's not one of us. We want to identify if we can accept somebody, if we accept somebody's ministry, if they're one of us. You know how big the one of us was the disciples were looking at? The 12. Plus Jesus, we'll count him too. So that's, that's 13. That was their us. They thought they were the answer, God's answer to all this stuff, and, and they were going to do this just for fun. We're going to read a little bit further here, and so you can see the heart of the disciples. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus re resolutely set out for Jerusalem, but he sent messengers on ahead. He went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and the disciples went to another village. <laughs> that was their heart, and Jesus rebuked it. That was their understanding, and Jesus rebuked it, right? It's not us and them. Where the kingdom of God is going, embrace it where the kingdom of God is expanding, where there's goodness, where there's fullness going on, embrace it and celebrate. We can become so, I'm going to say it, incestuous, that we love the things that are happening in our own communities, in our own selves, in our own understandings of these things, that we forget about the goodness, the richness, the variety, the diversity of the kingdom come. We know that when we get to heaven, it's going to be every tongue, tribe, nation, language. People who don't look like you, think like you, worship with you, don't have the same gifts or passions as you, all in one voice, in one acclaim, saying, He is my King. Jesus is on the throne. Salvation comes from Him and Him alone. And you look over, and this guy from high school who hated you is shoulder to shoulder with you. And you're like, He's your King too? Okay, <laughs> here we go. What a wonderful day that will be. The disciples there were willing to have less of a move of God. The disciples were willing to have less of a move of God simply because he's not one of us. He didn't go to my school. Does he even have a degree? What certifications does he have? A smaller avenue to see God move whenever we are not embracing the diversity of everything that the Lord is doing. If you want to see justice reign, be around the disenfranchised. You want to see the power of God move as a provider? Make space for the poor. When we don't do these things, when we're not including the diversity of the people that God loves and calls his own, we're missing out. There's actual value to including all of those whom God has called his own, to all those where God is moving, to all those places where God is stirring their hearts and calling them and reconciling. There's actual value to you that you get to see more of the kingdom of God come. You want to see God reveal the truth? Put your understanding alongside others' understanding and live by those truths and let God guide you. This is slightly out of context, but 1 Corinthians 11 says, No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. That's a unusual verse. I'm going to say it for you again to hear it. 1 Corinthians 11, No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. You've got to work this stuff out in context and trust that God is king. That's really what it's saying, right? There, there is a truth. And if, if you believe this and I believe this, well, let's see where they go. Let's see where the kingdom of God comes and shows up. Let's see where there's fruit that grows out of this. It's not just if you can get people to agree with you. Let's, let's see what the Lord actually does and move alongside with that. So if we go on with that, too. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. They had real wine. <laughs> Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in that matter. If you uninclude, if you disenfranchise, if you remove people that the Lord has made space for, the Lord is not happy with that. It's not simply, oh, well, that church is just a little sick. They're not in the kingdom of God when they're doing that. 
They're building their own empire. They're, they're building their own community. They might be making a church which has some things, but the kingdom of God does not look like that. We're, we're on different tracks. Divisions are not variety. All right? Divisions are not variety. Th this, this is the, a nuance I got laid in this week as I was praying through this. Some things diminish, but some things remain. And what I mean by that is we take those two ideas together. Scripture is telling us in the kingdom of God, the things that divide us here will not any longer. So we understand there's, there's diversity that is brought together, but we understand we also build walls, right, that are not doing what the Lord has asked us to do. Galatians 3.23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For, you, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We're all brought together. These things you think are, are, are divisive? The Lord is saying you are united in this. You divide male and female, slave and free. You divide Greek and, and, and Gentile and, and Jew, right? We, we make these divisions and God says, no, we are united in these things. Those divisions do not define you. Your identity is not found in those things. But there is a diversity of thought, of understanding, of appearance, of theology, of practice, of culture, of race, of language, of expression, of gifting, of passion, and calling. And these things do not go away at the end. We saw that picture in Revelation, right? All those differences were being celebrated because we were brought in as we were. So thank God for it. There's unity in one Lord, one spirit, one baptism. Ephesians 4, 4, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. And thank God for that. Thank God for the, this variety. Thank God for this unity. Thank God that we come together on these things, and thank God that those things do not divide us. Thank God that there is one hope which saves us all, and it is clear, and his name is Jesus. We can see it and recognize it and practice it. Those other buses, to quote Brandt again, divide us and subdivide us and lead us into the wrong places. Christ doesn't do that. When you come to follow Jesus, this might be really freeing for some of us. You aren't losing yourself into a Christian stereotype. I don't know about y'all, but when I was a teenager, I hated going to the Christian bookstores. <laughs> they smelled of potpourri, and, and there was a lot of, of really frilly old woman stuff <laughs> all along the wall. And I loved Jesus so much. And I went into those places because, you know, Plank Guy released a new album, and I wanted to find it. And there was all these worship CDs and no plank guy. And I was like, what is going on? And I want to find, like, maybe the new book by A.W. Tozier, which I was so into in high school. And there's no Tozier. <laughs> and I'm looking for Lewis, and there's no Lewis. And, and I feel like, are these my people? Do, do you ever look around and go, are these my people? <laughs> like, is this, is this right? It, do I belong here? Like, do I fit in? And we feel sometimes like maybe the problem's me. Maybe they don't want me, right? We allow the stereotype to define us, and we feel like, well, if I want to be a part of the church, then I guess I have to do X, Y, and Z. And we kind of turn off parts of our personality, or we kind of, you know, listen to less punk music. Not Tabby. Never Tabby. But <laughs> we, we, we turn down these sorts of things because it's like, uh, maybe this is what unity looks like. Maybe this is what I have to do. And it's so sad to me that we've allowed culture to be the thing that we think needs to unite us instead of the kingdom of God, instead of the blood of Jesus. When you come to follow Jesus, you aren't losing yourself into a Christian stereotype. Who you are, where you come from, is to be acknowledged, beloved, and celebrated. All right? I have I had thought, you know, we, growing up in the 90s and the 80s, you know, colorblind was the thing, right? 
we don't see color. We're, we're gonna act like it doesn't happen. And I had a friend who told me how hurtful that actually was because he was actually happy with where he came from. And to act like you didn't acknowledge his race as a person of color was actually hurtful. He, he was like, can, can I not share my experience with you? Like, I want to tell you about where I come from and, and what things are like. And it's really interesting. He grew up in Hong Kong, and, and he had this whole understanding of the community where in, in America we have this understanding of the individual. And he, the way he explained how the kingdom of God came and hit him in that culture, in that context, hit me with being wrong. You need to know, everyone here, you are not average. You're not a stereotype. Diversity has meaning, intentionality, and value. The average human, the average Christian, the most typical person in the world is right here represented through some scientific studies. 28-year-old Chinese man. <laughs> and if you are a 28-year-old Chinese man, you're not average. You're still unique. There's still something of the creator stamped on you as who you are. No one here is average. This is a bit of a, a long-winded story, but I want you to hear this through, all right? We use averages. We, we, we look at these things through averages because we have this understanding of it's going to be the best for us. It's the best fit. There was a Belgian mathematician astronomer named Adolf Quetelet. All right, you don't have to remember him. He's not going to be on the test to get into heaven. But in the 1830s, um, astronomers were using these things, trying to, to find a, the most accurate thing, but they had bad instruments. So they're measuring Pluto, not Pluto, they didn't know about that one, Jupiter and the moons and the trajectory and the orbits, and everybody's numbers were off, right? Because my telescope's different than yours, it doesn't work out. But they found if they do an average of everybody's data, it was more accurate. So averages became this idea that, that the they put forward as, this is really good. Average is wonderful. So, so Quillette really thought that this was a, a great understanding and he started using this for the chest measurements of 5,000 Scottish soldiers. That's the ta table that you have there. He measured the chests of, of 5,000 Scottish soldiers to tell you what the perfect Scottish soldier looked like. And he averaged them together. He says it's 39 and 3 quarters inches. That's the perfect ideal Scottish soldier has a chest of 39 and 3 quarters inches. That's the Scottish soldier's chest. The uh, platonic ideal, you might have heard that before, the platonic ideal of what these men are supposed to look like. Lincoln then liked this idea, and he brought it into the Civil War. You know this? Ever wonder why your shirts say small, medium, and large? It comes from this. <laughs> Lincoln liked this, and he brought it into the Civil War uniforms, because before then, every uniform was custom-made for the soldier himself. But they saw these averages, and then they broke it into subtypes, and they got small, medium and large. This is why I like facts. They're kind of fun, right? We got small, medium, and large from that. Then in 1926, the army keeps doing this, this rule of averages being an ideal. They started designing airplanes. The first airplane cockpit, they measured the physical dimensions of male pilots, and they calculated the average measurement of height, weight, arm length, and other dimensions. And then they made the cockpit with everything fixed for the average person. Okay? And it kind of worked for a while. And then World War II came around, and all of a sudden, Air Force is becoming more and more important. And so we have all these things, and they're going to training on these new planes, and guess what? Pilots are dying constantly. And they're like, well, maybe flying is just hard. <laughs> maybe, maybe we just don't know how to do this yet. And as they began looking at this, they went around to measure everybody around, saying maybe people have grown, so we'll get a new average, see if we need to update our cockpits. They started looking for the average human, and this one guy called Daniels went around to do that. And he measured these airmen on 10 critical dimensions. He realized that none, zero of the pilots he measured was average on all 10 dimensions. No one was average. Not a single one. And he looked at just three dimensions, thinking maybe 10 is too hard. If I get just three dimensions, less than 5% of the people were average. So when they were designing this cockpit for the average human, they were designing for no one. Zero people would fit in that cockpit well. No one was average. And then you look at ergonomics today. We have infinitely adjustable in so many different ways. How many ways can you adjust your seat at home, <laughs> right? We've kind of gone to this strange thing. 
you're not average. Who you are is not a stereotype. This is diversity in the kingdom of God. Who you know, who you interact with, nobody else can do that. Nobody else in this room can be a father to my children except for me. Nobody else in this room can be a husband to Leah but me. It just won't work that way. We're called uniquely. We're, we're purposed uniquely. You are beloved uniquely. And that's true for everybody in the kingdom of God. Can you wrap your mind around that? That's diversity in the kingdom of God. So what I'm saying might give you some relief. Christianity is not cookie cutter. Yes, we're conformed to the image of Christ, but variety, diversity is beautiful and necessary. So I don't want us to be blind to the fullness of the kingdom. I don't want us to be blind to the fullness of the kingdom. We could be looking around and missing it. I've missed it. Because you get so pigeonholed and you think, I know the answers. or I, I, I know what works for me. And my neighbor's experiencing the move of the Holy Spirit in some way, and I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. And then myself, as, as jury, start missing out on that. We're closed off. God's love of diversity isn't limited to Beatles or to musical taste. It's not just the way we look or the generation that we're born into. It's not about our race or our education. It's not just our shared life experience or our perspective. It's all of those things and more. We have to fight the desire to coalesce around like-minded people, like-looking people, for our own benefit and their benefit. But th the world depends upon this, y'all. I mean, the, the what the world sees is not the kingdom of God. If we are serious about the gospel being communicated, we got to understand what the kingdom of God looks like and start acting like it and portraying it and, and celebrating it and rejoicing it and acknowledging it everywhere that we see it. The church exists in no small part for those who aren't a part of it yet. The church exists in no small part for those who aren't in it yet. So we've got to find this blessed community. It's moving, it's changing. Because when we're stagnant, it's a worrying sign. Because the kingdom of God is active. Race is still an issue in the United States. Let's not, let's not be foolish about that. It's said that Sundays are the most segregated times in America today. Denominations are an issue. We're showing the world a fractured view of the bride. Wealth disparity in the United States. Some say like never before. I've, I've only been alive a little bit more than 40 years, so I, I don't know. But it's pretty bad. Ideology. Theology. Identification of sin is a greater dividing force than the unification of grace. And I know you agree with me on that <laughs> one. The identification of sin is a greater dividing force than the unification of grace. Dear Lord, how did we get this wrong? You know how the world says we get united by a common enemy? That's a worldly saying. Not so in the kingdom of God. We're united by a common friend. John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. We're united by a ruling king. That's a greater force than all these things that might divide us. So what's in the sheet? Remember Peter? <laughs> Amen. I'm in the sheet. My neighbors are in the sheet. What are you going to do with this? <laughs> it's a real question for you. <laughs> I don't think you can uh, ever get a look at the kingdom of God and walk away unchanged. I hope not. And I hope you never think that I'm just sharing interesting facts and figures or stories from history. 
don't remember where we got small, medium, large sizes from. I mean, you can't, but that's not <laughs> that, that's not why I'm preaching this sermon. Look for the kingdom of God. You're going to see it, okay? With open eyes this week, if you look for it, you will see. It might not be with whom and where you expect. It could be a whisper of a hope, of a dream in somebody's eyes. It's the voice of God calling. And let's celebrate that. Let's move with that. Let's, let's say, God, your kingdom's a big place. It's a vast place. How dare I close those gates? How dare I close off my heart? How dare I close off my affection? going to pray for us. We're going to worship. We're going to celebrate the kingdom. And when we say, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done, I, I hope you can recognize that's a big prayer. Like it really is. And if, if it's not a big prayer to you, I need to preach some more or something. I don't know. I'll, I'll figure that out. <laughs> Lord, I'm grateful that Jim and I are in the sheep. <laughs> I'm grateful that as a Gentile, you grafted us in. I'm grateful that you didn't turn me away when I was a sinner. God, forgive me for when I've done the same. God, forgive me for when I've set up gates and hurdles for people to jump over. God, forgive me for a closed-off heart. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Where we've built our church, Father, I repent. Where we've put up a boundary line, I repent. And I know it's not just what happens in this community. I know that that's what happens in life. I see your kingdom, Father, and I want to be a part of it. I acknowledge you as King, as Lord, Savior of all. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's celebrate the kingdom.